This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Sawate Mihinomen est Stella at Hawk est Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 198 for October MMXX. Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by We Are Venomaniacs. We Are Venomaniacs is the Venom Scythe official podcast for all of your symbiote news, reviews, and point of views about Venom related comics, movies, television, animation, and merchandise. We are available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, Google Play Music, and YouTube. Join us, won't you?
Macro the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Well, this is, I'm alone again. And it's funny because Donovan was texting me today and he felt like 197. Really, I, I hit my stride. I hit my peak with the video format and, and having Carolyn is certainly one of those reasons. And I think just the back and forth and the repartee and, and I guess my facial reactions and laughing really helped it. And so I guess you guys will be disappointed with this one since I'm on my own, but <laughs> it has been fun. You know, I, I don't necessarily consider myself a YouTuber, even though now I've got subsequent episodes on there, but you know, this is just my backdrop. There's nothing too special about it. There's nothing too fancy. I feel like my camera should be zoomed out, you know, that you can see a bit more of Steph and the birds now, but I, this is just fun, right? I, I think I pride myself more on the audio only because I've been doing that for years now. And so this is just like, hey, this is pretty fun and cool. So, you know, it'll be fun, whatever. I'm having fun. So I guess that makes that's all that really matters. But I thank you for the 12 to 15 viewers that that appear to watch my YouTube episodes each time they pop. And I think now what I'm going to do is kind of space them out because I usually drop part one and part two right away. But I think what I'll do is drop part one and then wait another day and then part two to kind of space it out and not make people overwhelmed. Thank you, Donovan, for letting me know that I'm successful to a certain extent. Oh, boy. Here we are. Man, the country's not in turmoil whatsoever, or at least I'll pretend that it's not. And that's why we're here, right? Is <laughs> This is a bit of escapism. If we wanted to talk about real-life issues, I think I would probably have a separate podcast where I would ask questions, but I wouldn't have the answers for them. <laughs> That's a bit of a low dig. But seriously, though, I mean, we're we're getting close to the election. And I just hope that you guys go out and vote. And that's all I'll say. I, I think you've if you've been listening for years now, you know that there are certain things I take stances on. But I, for the most part, try to keep politics out. Unless, of course, I have to talk about politics in Gotham like I did with Sam Heath. But yeah, my my hope is that this is just a way to for you to almost, you know, forget about situations for, you know, a short time as you're listening to this and go into a particular happy place. And, you know, one of my happy places, of course, is The Last of Us. And I never promise that I want to talk about it again. But I will say that I won't talk about it long here because I'm sure everyone's rolling their eyes that once again, she's talking about it. But I like to follow my well, follow Naughty Dog, and they post fan art a lot. And there are other people that post fan art on on Instagram and things like that. And I really like that. Also, cosplaying as well. And I was thinking, number one, there haven't been many Abby fan art uh, submissions or cosplays. I think maybe one cosplay that I've seen so far, and she was not big enough. But I shan't body shame. 
And I was thinking about this and, and just also the presentation of Abby herself. And I wonder, and I wish Harold were here to talk about this with me. I wonder about the, almost the publicity surrounding her and whether Naughty Dog almost did it to themselves about how much vitriol there is. And of course, you know, story related, you love Joel, you're going to hate the person who kills Joel. But the majority of artistic representations of Abby and of any releases of Abby is that really intense stare with the sleeveless shirt, sometimes with the hammer, which is a particular scene. Like if you played it, you know when that happens, but just always angry. Whereas Ellie, there certainly are some like really angry poses of her, but there are so many other ones that are displayed side by side. And we know Ellie growing up that even when we see that, we don't automatically, I think, tend to think of her as this angry person. We, we have her with Ellie. We have Ellie with Dina. We have Ellie with Joel, of course, or Potato, the little potato, JJ. And with Abby, we only have her in this angry pose. And so I just wonder, because of all that publicity, it's always this angry. Of course, people don't like her. And it's just unfortunate that, because I feel like I'm an Abby apologist. I, I think I would try to defend her and I feel like successfully defend her at certain times. And there's just so much to her and, and a lot of caring moments and uh, fun moments with her as well that it's unfortunate that we only see this like really angry and, and violent side. And so it's like, well, you're leading people to only see that side of her. So anyways, that's just what I was considering just with looking at all of this art and always seeing, you know, if there's an if there's a collage of a bunch of stuff, you'll probably have an angry Ellie, but you'll also have a non-angry Ellie in some sort of loving, I was going to say position, but hopefully you understand what I mean, like with another person. So sad that, you know, like Ellie and Joel or Ellie and Dina, whereas Abby, it's like only this really angry Abby. But what about Abby and Lev? You know, some of these positive moments. So I was just considering that. Another thing that I've talked about in the past is, and it's connected to The Last of Us. Remember I was saying that, you know, also with The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, I can't find the word to say, of you know, like, enjoy, what is this when it's something that's hard. It's hard to get through. It, it puts you through the emotional ringer, but I stayed with it. I was engaged with it. What is that word? So I was riding my bike one day on one of my, uh, I guess, medium-sized rides, maybe 20-mile ride, and I thought of the word. It's worthwhile worthwhile. So something that is worth your time, that is something that you would recommend to someone that it would be formative potentially of their mind or of their their spirit or their heart. I think that I think that's great. I think that's absolutely what I was looking for. So you know, the bluest eye, did I like it? You know, some terrible stuff happens in there, but it was certainly worthwhile. Last of Us Part 2, boy, there was some tough things to get through that I I didn't, I was forced to do and I didn't like, but that whole experience was, in my opinion, worthwhile. And so that's that word I think that I've I've been searching for. And I feel like that's a good word to to put it. And and that's been something that now I, I ask, you know, after I watch something with somebody or, or maybe someone's read something, hey, would you say that this is a worthwhile venture to pursue sort of thing? Which takes me to my final introductory point, which is the 2019 horror drama film, breakup film, <laughs> 
Midsummer, I like to call it Midsummer. I don't know if any of you have seen this. It has Florence Pugh, and it was directed by Ari Aster. And he, I think, before this had done The Inheritance, I think, or Hereditary. Is that what it's called? Hereditary. And what I, I find intriguing about this gentleman is that he's making a film about some mundane, almost, you know, normal, everyday challenge or event. And then he surrounds it with this this horror aspect. So Hereditary, while I've not seen it, I think is is mostly dealing with mental illness being passed down, you know, through generations of a family, which, you know, does happen. And then with Midsommar, what he's dealing with is a breakup of terrible relationship and figuring out you're, you shouldn't be together and just having this, yeah, a breakup. But uh, boy, d- d- does Florence Pugh go through a lot to actually end this relationship. So I just have this really interesting story to share about Midsommar and its role in my life. And I did actually watch it. So this is the point of it. So I think I, I had seen ads and trailers and things like that. And usually before I go and see a horror film or certain films that I'm not too sure about, I'll go on the IMDb Parents Guide just to see like, oh, can I take it? Can I not? And so I did, I I went to check out the Midsommar Parents Guide and it was probably, I don't need to tell you what it was, but it was a couple lines down and I was like, nah, I don't need to see that, which now in retrospect, what they put there is a bit misleading because it sounds worse than what it <laughs> what actually happens. It still happens, but the way it was presented in the parents' guide was like, I thought it was going to be way more blunt and it was literally happening, but it was kind of hidden is the best way without, you know, giving you gross nightmares. So I thought, nah, I'm not going to do it. So one of my former students watched it and was telling me about it. And I think I went on Wikipedia after that. And that was one of those entries that has the whole thing. So I read all of it. And boy, I was a bit disturbed. And then later, like much later, I would say half a year later, another former student texted me and said, have you seen Midsommar? And I was like, no, but I know all about it. And she watched it with her boyfriend. So she was totally disturbed and she couldn't fall asleep. And it was, it was terrible. So I thought, well, this is really interesting how much it gets into people's minds. And I had seen, you know, scenes like basically Florence Pugh, I think spending the entire film crying or screaming or yelling. So, Now we're getting to real life. I know enough about it. It's as if I've watched it. I go on a walk with another former student and she's telling me about a circumstance that happens. I I don't want to talk about it, but I, it is eerily similar to Midsommar that I mentioned. I was like, wow, this whole thing is like Midsommar involving a breakup. That's all I'll say. And then I was going on a bike ride with my friend Mariko. We went on weekly bike rides during the summer. And sometimes, you know, your body is just like, it can do one thing one week and then the next week it's like harder. And so this particular time was just harder for her her to get up this particular hill. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll groan with you like in Midsommar, like in Empathy. 
And uh, so as she's groaning to get up there and making noises, I make noises with her. So it had gotten to the point where I'm making references to it, but I've never seen it. And I feel like that was unfair because I don't like those sorts of people. So I thought I made these references. I need to legitimately watch this film. I don't want to watch this film by myself. So I text my mom and I'm like, mom, will you watch this film with me? We need to do it during the day. So she's all for it. And I knew enough about it that I could protect her and shield her. And I had heard from one of my castmates from Men on Boats that they show everything. They don't shy away. And so I was prepared for that happening, which happens twice, really, the ritual with both ritualistic scenes, I guess. And so two and a half hours, apparently there's a director's cut coming out, which is going to be three hours long, but I survived it. And so did Momsy. And I would actually say that Midsommar is a worthwhile film. However, I would have to speak with you personally to decide whether or not I think you should watch it, because I, I think I would only recommend it to specific people but it was really interesting and i i'm so glad that i read all about it on wikipedia because i was not only able to prepare myself as well as prepare my momsy but i could look for details because there's lots of foreshadowing little details that like point to things that are going to happen later on and there's just lots of symbolism well i guess literally you know symbolism just uh, lots of murals and paintings and things that you're like seeing all the rituals that are going to happen but it's passed over as if it's like oh this is isn't this lovely but actually look at what's happening in these images and florence Pugh, my gosh uh, she really does spend a great deal crying and 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 screaming and she was put through the emotional ringer for sure and I was disturbed with one particular scene. I just thought, man, this is going on for far too long. You're showing far too much. And that was the one time I was like, mom, I can't even watch right now. So there's my Midsommar story. And I will say that because I, it was free on Amazon Prime. And then I went on Amazon to get how to be an anti-racist. And... <laughs> It has, you know, previous searches and has like this white flowing dress and it says right next to it because you searched Midsommar. So now I'm going to be trolled by it. But I'm somewhat interested in what the director's cut would be now that I'm like far enough past my initial viewing that I feel like, oh, it'd be interesting to, to watch again. And there are certain questions I have, especially about Christian, but it was interesting because I the way that I watch uh, films with my mom is that we do it remotely. So use this program called cast. And so I'm showing her what I'm seeing and then we have an open phone line on. And so it's interesting how I was like trying to figure out Christian's motivations and mom is saying something like, wow, you're more forgiving of him than I am just with how terrible he is. But they do end up breaking up very violently, I suppose I should say. So, so there you go. Just in time, I suppose, for Halloween to talk about this. Oh, okay. Well, you probably can't find your joy watching Midsommar, but I will tell you what I am finding my joy with currently. This is Shag's Mac and Cheese of Comfort and Joy. So I think I probably didn't mention at all, this is way in the past, but during COVID times, Tegan and Sarah of the band Tegan and Sarah, uh, which I of which I am a big fan of. They were in they're in Toronto, I'm pretty sure, and so you know, not touring or anything. And they would do Instagram lives, and 
Sarah Quinn had started gardening during all of this. She bought a house and she was gardening. And so they would have this Instagram live and a lot of it was about gardening and things like that. But inevitably, you know, the, the two would maybe bicker or just come up with these interesting topics and, and there'd be sarcasm and joking and things like that. If you've ever seen them in concert, they, they have this great back and forth that they'll do sometimes between songs. So that was just something that was a lot of fun. I think there were maybe 13 episodes or so that are like 40 minutes. Their mom popped on one time. I mean, there's just lots of, uh, lots of fun things and, and, you know, ragging on each other and things like that. I mean, they're twins. They've been around for, (laughs) for a while. So they know each other well enough to do that, but, but that was a lot of fun. I'm currently watching and I'm nearly done, I guess. I feel like I only have maybe I don't know, maybe 12 episodes left or so of Heart of Dixie. It's because I was watching in the OC and then Rachel Bilson, who's in the OC of summer, is in this Heart of Dixie. And I don't really like country, country things, but I have been enjoying this. It's it's a lot of fun. I like Rachel Bilson. I re- Jamie King's character, Lemon, is great. And you should, would know Jamie King as Goldie, Goldie from Sin City, but just her... <laughs> Her character is insane, but her mannerisms and how she, you'd have to watch a couple episodes to really understand, but I I have been enjoying that. It's been a lot of fun. And then finally, and I'm going to give them a shout out, even though they're not sponsoring me, though I would love for them to sponsor me, Gamefly. I have finally decided to subscribe to Gamefly. And it's because there are a lot of games that I want to play, but games that I don't want to own. And my library doesn't carry video games. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do a monthly subscription and rent these games. And then I'm, I'm saving some money. So I'm currently on my third game. The first game I played was Jedi Fallen Order, which is okay. I'm actually glad I did not buy that because, boy, was that frustrating the heck out of me and the second game was fast and furious crossroads which again i'm glad i didn't buy because that was even though i'm a huge fan of fast and furious it was not very good Uh, well it wasn't yeah i think what i told people is it wasn't terrible but it wasn't good and now and plus it was only like a four hour four to six hour game and now i'm currently playing control which I told Harold, hey, I'm playing Control. And he said, what do you think of it? And I said, you know, I'm enjoying it, but I have no idea what's going on. So it's it's paranormal. It's mysterious. It's noir. But I, yeah, I have no idea what's going on. But honestly, that first month I paid, I think, $10 and I got two games that would have cost me $120 or so. So boy, am I saving some major stuff. And I can try out things that like, hey, if I don't like it, I just send it back and get something else. And their discs, I'm not lying about this because I'm not being sponsored by them. Their discs are really well taken care of. I was expecting like a scuffed disc, scratches, nothing, which knock on wood that, you know, future discs, I don't get that as well. It's been great to to just play, yeah, play some games and and know that I, I don't have to pay a bunch of money. Okay, so that's how I'm finding my joy. I hope you guys are finding some happiness as well, even in these strange, strange times. And, of course, be safe, right, and wear a mask and wash your hands. Okay, so now we are going to do what we should have been doing all along. It's, of course, the reviews. I'm going to start with the quickies, and I'm not going to laugh now because I'm the only one doing it. So I am doing two months again. No one complained last time. (laughs) 
no one said anything, so no news is good news. I'm going to do July and August of 2001. These are, of course, appearances of Barbara Gordon. We've got Batman 591, Shot Through the Heart Part 1, July 2001. Writer Ed Brubaker, penciler Scott McDaniel, inker Carl Story, colorist Roberta Tews, and Wildstorm FX. And as I said in the previous episode, you've done this earlier, I'm just going to give the publisher synopsis and then what Barbara is doing. So these are what the quickies are. One of Batman's deadliest foes, the assassin known as Deadshot, returns with his crosshairs aimed directly at a big shot mafia mouthpiece. So Oracle does some research for Bruce and finds Philo Zeiss, who has had extensive experimental surgery and can store images similar to Taskmaster, potentially, learning Batman's moves. So she's a research assistant there, basically. Then we have Nightwing 57, Yesterday Never Dies, July 2001. Writer Chuck Dixon, penciler Rick Leonardi, inker Jesse Delperdang, and Mark Framer, and colorist Patricia Mulvihill. Captured by the minions of Shrike, Nightwing Nightwing, Nightwing (laughs) comes face-to-face with the one man who has dedicated his life to exterminating the former Robin. Chained in a warehouse surrounded by deadly ninjas and staring into the face of his arch enemy, how in the world is Nightwing going to get out of this one? Okay, well, we've got Barbara giving a love note, basically, to Dick, which is nice. We have Dinah spending the night in the clock tower, so nice little sleepover, and then an alarm goes off. That means someone's running fingerprints on one of the bat guys, and Oracle has a false identity prepared for this and makes Shriek or Shrike wait for it to download, which, of course, anyone who has gone through a Skype update and is about ready to do a podcast know how frustrating that can be. Then Dinah and Oracle take Oracle's tricked-out ride to get Nightwing, tracking his last transmission, and Barbara relates how she feels about him is similar to how Dinah felt about Oliver, which is pretty big, I would say. That's the big L word. Nightwing, number 90, Shark Bite. 2001 of July, writer Chuck Dixon and Scott Beatty, penciler Pete Woods, inker Andrew Papoy, and colorist Noel Giddings. Robin must infiltrate an enemy stronghold, a very powerful globe-spanning off-the-rockers enemy stronghold. Meanwhile, the object of Robin's quest, Danny Temple, falls further under the seductive spell of power and evil. So Alfred contacts Oracle because he's reluctant to call Bat Jerk, and Barbara says... The boys' clubs finally wedding in more girls, eh? Alfred lets her know that Tim has wandered into a den of serpents, i.e. Cobra. Yeah, I feel like I didn't read that well. So Barbara says, the boys' clubs finally wedding in more girls. There you go. So I enjoyed that. Like, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Chuck Dixon and Scott Beatty, for pointing that out and using Barbara as the mouthpiece for that. Superboy 89, Greed is Good, August 2001. Writer Joe Kelly and Eddie Berganza. Penciler Carlo Barberi. Inkers Keith Champagne. And Walden Wong. Colorist Jason Wright and Digital Chameleon. The Kid returns to Project Cadmus only to find the project is no more, but he also learns that a war is brewing and the U.S. government plans on turning thousands of proto-clones into guardians. Uh, so Oracle hacks a TV, tells Superboy about the Metropolis project at LexCorp Towers, which uses tech and data obtained from Cadmus. And she also arranges transportation since 
those people, bad guys, are out looking for S shields and capes. So she's trying to protect Superboy there. And then final one of our quickies, Nightwing 58, A World of Hate, August 2001. Writer Chuck Dixon, penciler Mike Lilly, inker Jesse Delperdang, and colors Patricia Mulvihill. Nightwing's history comes back to haunt him as Shrike and Shrike's gaggle of deadly ninjas have Dick completely outmatched. Meanwhile, Oracle dispatches Black Canary to rescue Nightwing from capture. So Canary actually helps Nightwing during the fight with Shriek or Shrike. Team, there's a team up with Dinah. Then Babs goes to investigate the hideout, and she is underestimated by some ninja that come to attack her and call her a mere cripple. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. She plays damsel in distress, and her wheelchair has missiles. <laughs> that was one of the best panels ever. And after the short fight, she says, "Cripple my butt." Yeah, there's a fun little moment where she rolls up on um, Nightwing and Dinah says, my boyfriend and my best friend going around behind my back. What I do declare. And of course, there is a shipper moment at the end. So overall, Nightwing is shipperific with the, the dick and the babs, which you know I like that. Okay, well, those were the quickies. So again, if you think two months are too much, but I'm just ticking through, ticking through and, and seeing who. What's worthwhile and what's not, I suppose. Okay, so now we here we are with the full reviews. Something I never expected to do. Something I scratched my head and said, huh, what's that? It's Ghost slash Batgirl, the Resurrection Machine. Now, I will say, viewers, listeners, I offered this to Donovan. And he said, meh. And apparently he didn't read it. I can't be blamed now if you don't like how I review it because you had the option and you didn't take it. Okay, looks like this is, well, first of all, June 2001 is the month that it came out. Writer Mike Kennedy, penciler Ryan Benjamin, inkers Ryan Benjamin, Randy Emberlin, Michael Blair, and Howard Shum. Colorist Edgar Delgado, Raul Trevino, and Digital Broom. And this is the Wikipedia synopsis, so thank you, Wikipedia. Under the tutelage of Oracle, Backroll investigates the bombing of the International Diamond Exchange, which has resulted in severe casualties. Two-Face openly claims responsibility for the disaster, but reports show that nothing is stolen, nor were there any high-profile enemies at the scene that Two-Face would consider targeting. Oracle's investigation leads to the city of Arcadia, where Ghost is on the search for Malcolm Greymatter, a Civil War veteran kept alive by his own scientific experiments. Councilman Fletcher, while at a social event, reveals that his daughter is among six persons reported missing after the bombing of the International Diamond Exchange. Bruce Wayne mentions that no body has been recovered, and this may indicate she is not dead. The disheartened councilman responds, If Carvey Dent has her, she may wish she were. Wayne instinctively assumes Barbara Gordon may be planning a mission to apprehend Dent and specifically warns her not to because, you know, daddy knows mess. He claims that Two-Face is Batman's responsibility and adds that if Batman needs help, he will call. Gordon, ignoring Wayne's order, plans a trip to investigate St. Mary's Hospital in Arcadia. Meanwhile, Ghost is investigating the disappearance of a young woman named Debbie Scoggins. Both she and Batgirl end up meeting for the first time at an underground nightclub. Although they are unable to communicate verbally, the two quickly realize their agendas are compatible. It's just thinking about the plural of agenda is actually plural. It should be agendum and agenda, but hey, here we are. 
With the assistance of Oracle and Batgirl, Ghost comes face-to-face with Malcolm Greymatter, the mastermind behind the disappearances of numerous women in Gotham and Arcadia. While Ghost believed Greymatter faked their deaths in order to sell them into servitude, he reveals their deaths were real and that he was responsible for reanimating their bodies through the use of his resurrection machine. Two-Face seeks revenge on Grey Matter for reanimating the corpses of henchmen he has killed himself, claiming them as property. The conflict is cut short as Ghost and Batgirl wreak havoc on Grey Matter's heart of operations. Facing defeat, he destroys the base of operations with a bomb, leaving no evidence of the reanimated bodies or the resurrection machine. Ghost and Batgirl are unable to capture the villain. Okay, so... One of my questions is, <laughs> why? Why do we have this team up? And I guess I'll, I'll talk about that later. So I will at least say that DC Comics and Dark Horse, of course, have crossed over several times. You know, you've got Predator Batman, Alien Batman, things like that. And Ghost also crossed over with The Shadow and Hellboy separately. So Ghost has has crossed over in the past with other characters. It seems like her, how do I say, her publication history, I don't know, or her publication timeline, I was looking at as a bit like, I don't know, there, there are spaces in between when she was publicized and or published. And so I, I wondered if this was a way to maybe garner some popularity, but I don't know. Okay, so I do want to go through at least these character descriptions that we have. And then, yeah, I also want to show the different covers. So Ghost, because I was like, I have no idea who this particular character is. So uh, Lisa or Alyssa, probably Alyssa. Alyssa Cameron was born with the ability to instantly transport herself from one place to another using an other dimensional gateway. Alyssa's paranormal abilities brought her to the attention of a paranormal strike force, the Furies, hmm, who recruited her and trained her in combat and espionage techniques. Participating in an outlawed experiment, she was injected with the agent, a substance which was to have temporarily given her ghost-like powers. However, because of her latent abilities, the new powers became permanent. Now Elisa can move through solid objects and walls, fly, and temporarily ghost other objects and people. Recovering from the torments of mental reprogramming and implanted false memories perpetrated on her by the Fury, she has broken her ties with the group and now protects the innocence of Arcadia as ghost. Okay, so I'm going to take that for granted because I've got no idea. Here we have Batgirl. Oh, I'm looking at that image. Really? What is it? Yeah. Okay. I was like, something's weird about that and not just the top toss size, but <laughs> her bat symbol on the chest should not be filled in. But anyways, here we are. Okay. Cassandra Kane is the daughter of the master assassin known only as Kane. <laughs> Kane trained a young Bruce Wayne in the art of hand-to-hand combat and sought to train his own child to work as a professional killer. Cassandra developed excellent fighting skills, yet rebelled against her father's plans for her. She found her place in Gotham City, working as an intelligence operative for Barbara Gordon, the original Batgirl, now now known as Oracle. After thwarting her father's attempt to kill Commissioner Gordon, that's true, she earned the respect of Batman and was given the Batgirl costume. Cassandra lives and works with Bat- Barbara Gordon 
and hones her fighting skills with Batman. She rarely speaks, which is possibly the result of a mental block related to childhood trauma. Hmm, that's suspicious. Okay, so there's that kind of characters. Then we've got Malcolm Gray Matter, a Civil War veteran who has been kept alive by mysterious technology. Gray Matter secretly controls the majority of Arcadia's criminal traffic, operating through a network of spies and enforcers and collecting data through computer hacking, phone taps, and other illegal means. He hopes to build a benevolent criminal empire. He, his ultimate goal is to establish an urban community in which all public needs are made available, especially the so-called victimless crimes of drugs, prostitution, and gambling. Despite his aged and disfigured body, his brilliant scientific mind and tactical leadership have given his underground operation the ability to grow for years, hidden from the world in the tunnels and chambers beneath Arcadia. And finally, Two-Face Harvey Dent was a promising district attorney who fought alongside Gotham City's vigilante hero Batman and police commissioner James Gordon to bring justice to a city overrun by organized crime. During the trial of crime king boss Maroney, the indicted mobster hurled acid into Dent's face, disfiguring the left side of his face and shattering his mind. Dent was transformed into Two-Face, a sociopath, aha, sociopath who uses a scarred two-headed silver dollar to determine his actions and decide the fate of others. His murderous persona far out overpowers a softer inner voice and his criminal history is filled with random violence and power-hungry schemes. So uh, there you go. So I guess the only one I really disagree with a bit is uh, the back roll. But so, so first, shout out to Alan, my chief hair soil correspondent. Um, just to, to see Barbara here, long hair, no bangs, or if she has bangs, they're pulled back. Maybe she's got some bangs there. Red, red, and eye color looks blue. Now, I was when I was reading this, I thought, what sketchy person is right there behind Barbara? I wanted to say, Barbara, turn around. There's someone behind you. And then later on, was it this one? Oh, yeah. Like, she's watching her over here. Who is? Oh, oh, it's it's Cassandra. <laughs> I didn't even know. The art on Cassandra, I don't know about this. It's a bit suspicious. It doesn't, it just doesn't look like her. It's probably, shout out to Carolyn Coca, my chief Tata correspondent. It is the Tata size. I mean, even if we look, let's see if, like, what? Look at that cleavage. Also, back to Alan, chief uh, style correspondent. There's no way that Cassandra would wear what she's wearing right here. This this flowery frock. Oh, my gosh. And it's not the only one I'd have to look, but there's no way. And then, th- see, this panel, I wish I could point, this kind of bottom right panel where you've got the profile, her top, her chest size doesn't look bad. But then if you look upward, diagonally, it's like, Cassandra, you have that much cleavage? I'm I'm shocked. It seems even her, in her Batgirl guys, like her... Her chest size is a bit like someone should have told the artist, hey, maybe you should, uh, I guess, yeah, Ryan Benjamin. They should have told Ryan Benjamin, hey, maybe uh, reduce that a bit. But okay, so that I got I got off a bit on that. I wanted to talk about this because, you know, I like to focus on the bet jerk. But it's really interesting, this whole thing. Oh, my gosh. Where is it? Here we go. 
I see those wheels turning inside your head, Barbara. You aren't planning anything dangerous, I hope. And, you know, she said, yeah, we have to find her. I understand your concern, but stay out of this. Stay out of this. Two-Face is Batman's responsibility. I don't want either of you tangling with him. Very interesting. So does this mean that because Barbara and then by extension Batgirl disobey Batman, they should be fired? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. But anyways, I yeah, I just love that, you know. Oh, man, don't put anything bad. Yeah. I mean it. Stay out of this. Is like okay. You need to shut your mouth right now. They're clearly capable of it. So I understand Donovan that he's just trying to be loving and protective. But honestly, it's almost patronizing. Like you know what? Leave it to me. I can do it. Whatever. But yeah, I like how she's sure. We'll just sit by the phone and wait. And then of course they they go off and do everything. So I don't know if it's this one that we want to talk about her voice is young and weak breaking in half as she screams that's when she screams i know maybe she oh yeah see huh maybe she doesn't speak english so yeah the presentation of cassandra here is like maybe a year ago like maybe if this came out because this came out 2001 i feel like this is not current cassandra maybe if you had put it earlier it would have been like her relationship with barbara absolutely current as of 2001 but just like the speaking uh she can actually speak now so i found that interesting and again the outfits so let's look at another cover and issue i'll you know talk about the story but probably not as much uh i do like this one isn't this nice so this breaks the carolyn coca mold because you see barbara in her wheelchair which i very much like this is yeah i like that cover it's pretty cool so she doesn't talk at all i mean she's got she's clearly the intimidator of the partnership cassandra and then there are moments like this bottom right where just the look of her in in the shadows has got that kind of um Shoot, what's his name? Oh, the guy that Dustin doesn't like, the artist. Oh, Red Rain and all that. Oh, man, why can't I remember his name? Shoot. Everyone's screaming at their speakers and their computer of who it is. But anyway, so so there we go. And just, yeah, I feel like Barbara's presentation. Oh, uh, yeah, look, there's like nothing happening. Cassandra says nothing. Oh, this is the other outfit. Look at what she's wearing. Wait, can you see it here? A, uh, I don't know, halter top, kind of, with a weird chain around her. There's absolutely no way. But yeah, she doesn't even speak at all. So it's just an interesting characterization. And art-wise of her, I feel like it doesn't mesh well. Yeah, the designer clothes. But Barbara, I feel like, is presented really well. She stands up for herself. Um, She's a good tactical advisor and really fits that Oracle role. And she stands up against Batman. So I feel like that's great. Two-Face, I'm not sure about his presentation either. Just because, you know, he's got that whole doubles and, and looking for twos and just weird i don't know it just seems like this is not the best story for him like i would expect maybe joker to freak out that you know these are my henchmen what what are you doing and i can see him you know killing some of his henchmen that aren't doing what they should be doing but it just seems like he's more possessive than i would imagine him being 
and just feels like maybe another villain would have fit this particular story better than Two-Face. And yeah, again, you know, the twos and all that stuff. I don't know why he went after the, the diamond exchange. Like, seems like there might be a better motive for him to do that with. You know, I only recognize Barbara. Oh, this right here, this was 2001. It was so interesting to read this of... You know, it's a hobby, believe it or not. Oh, she was, oh gosh, on the computer and, and Gus is saying, you're pretty good with that thing. And, and Barbara says, it's a hobby, believe it or not. There are times I don't mind being disabled. And then Ghost says, don't you mean differently abled? And I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I feel like I, 2001, nearly 20 years ago, and that was used here was is is for me super duper interesting because I feel like I didn't really think about using that term until Carolyn Coca came around and and reading her Superwoman book so that's uh, interesting I think was this the one yeah so there uh, is it when this fight breaks out because the fight breaks out in one of the hotel rooms and it's interesting that Ghost and Backer are the ones to fight and Barbara's just like you don't see Barbara as if she's an off panel and but they should have probably also attacked and targeted Barbara and Barbara could have held her own so I do disagree with that part but you know I, I was mostly in it for the Barbara Cassandra and for the most part I guess you know I'd say Barbara written really well. Cassandra is a bit off the mark slash past Cassandra and that we've developed her a bit more. And then I was just kind of going with it with, with ghost and gray matter. So, oh, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I feel like it's got a bit of a under the surface, almost a discussion of like trafficking with, with these particular people, even though they're dead. And, and it almost has a question of, you know, what rights do you have after you've been killed? But it's, yeah, it's just an, it's an interesting story. I mean, honestly, it's, it's not the most worthwhile of stories for me. Like, would I go out of my way to read this if I weren't doing a podcast right now? I don't think so. Was it a worthwhile crossover to have these two people? I feel like they're they're rather similar, just that they're going for or trying to help people that might be almost silent silent masses or, or people that others might not care about. I mean, obviously you have that one, whoever he was, like a politician's daughter that she, yeah, she was absolutely worried about. But you have others that, you know, if they were missing, no one would necessarily care. But Ghost and then Cassandra really cares about all of those people. So you've got that street level, I feel like, that really fits Cassandra, at least what I imagine. Ghost, I don't really know, but they work well together to a certain extent. But yeah, the two faces, I, I don't really understand. I feel like I shouldn't say don't understand, but I just feel like he was not the best of the the villains that they could have. We have two other issues just to show the the covers winding down on this. I, I honestly don't have too much to say about it. I feel like I'm kind of blathering on, which I apologize for. Three, here it is. You got the the villain's henchwoman holding both Ghost and Batgirl up. Did this one? Oh, yeah. See, they all get attacked. So here is Oracle doing her thing and then kind of having her birds, right? Very similar to that. And then these two burst in and there's a fight, but they don't, you don't see Oracle at all. They don't go for Oracle at all, which would have been interesting to have her in on the fight. I mean, Oracle doesn't even engage in the fight. So I feel like that's a bit strange. And I was just 
thinking about something. Another thing that was a bit odd is just how quickly Oracle trusts ghosts. And I, I guess it's because Batgirl trusts her is, is the reason why, which was, was that an issue two, that uh, speechless scene? But even so, I just feel like Oracle would have tried to protect that identity a bit more. So she's just more open, I think, than I would have initially thought she would be. And then the final cover, we've got everyone now. We have Two-Face, we have Grey Matter, and they've switched. So Two-Face is fighting Ghost, or it looks like more Ghost is fighting slash going through Two-Face, and then Batgirl is wrapping a rope up around the arm of Grey Matter, so switching off. So I would say out of all of them, that issue two is probably my favorite cover, but I might be biased because Barbara is on it as well. So honestly, I just don't have too much to say about that particular story. I don't think it was as worthwhile a crossover. I mean, for crossovers, especially, I mean, gosh, how much were these? I mean, if we're getting into Alan Middleton, Professor Alan, two ninety nine for four issues. Well, for each issue, which at two thousand one was a bit heavier, wasn't it? I feel like that, yeah, because everything's two ninety nine now, kind of. Getting to Professor Allen, aka Professor Chiefsgate, and paying two ninety nine per issue for this crossover. That, depending if you're coming from DC or Dark Horse, you only know half of the characters, and then you know this story. It's not. It's not super duper exciting. I wouldn't say it's bad, and I sure did read it. But for me, the the best part was probably Bar- Barbara. I feel like is is the most like spot on of of the characters there, and but. Cassandra's like taking a step backwards and then I just have no idea who this ghost person is. So I was just rolling with it. So I think out of 10 undead cronies, I'm going to give this a six out of 10 undead cronies. Okay. So now, and finally, I have some listener emails. Here's the mail, it never fails It makes me want to wag my tail When it comes, I want to wail And I have two of them One of them is from my dearly beloved Donovan Morgan Grant Should we go with Donovan first or second? I will go with the comment made on episode 196, Politics in Gotham, the Batman Universe and Political Thought Discussion Special. This is from Michael Ridge. He says, Salway, Stella, that is, this discussion of the politics of Gotham and its relation to real world politics and political thought emphasizes why we don't need a gritty, realistic Batman. Quis custodiet ipsos custodies is an issue in today's news. If we can't call the police to account, how much less control would society have over masked vigilantes? Batman can't be tolerated in the real world. We have a real world equivalent of Oracle. I don't know if it is Facebook or Amazon that mines our personal data so that we all have detailed reports on our habits, spending, travel, associates, etc that seem to be available to anyone who wants them. Most people seem to think that this information gathering violates their privacy. Congress is still looking at legal controls. The art can be realistic. The emotions can be realistic. Personal relationships can be realistic. The premise of superhero comics is not and cannot be realistic, or the whole construct comes apart. 
These essays seem to lead to insight into politics, and that is a good thing. Max Heath <laughs> seems like he is an interesting teacher. I can see why students would want to be in his class. I will say his name was Sam Heath, but that cracked me up with the with the Max. I probably confused you, honestly, because I called him Nemesis. I called him Heath Bar. Uh, maybe I slept and called him Max. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, good point for sure. And thank you for using the quote from Juvenile Quis Custodiate Ipsos Custodies, which is, of course, who watches the Watchmen. This idea that, and I think in terms of the satire that he was talking about, it's like this, it's about this wanton woman who sleeps with all these different men, uh, but she's married. And so you have a guard posted to prevent her from having these affairs but the issue is who watches the watchman so if there's someone there how do we know that he's not going in there so that's that context which is interesting that not many people know about that but it is true um so good points for sure i actually sent that to sam and sam's response to it was he makes good points and then he signs it max which i thought was fun so thank you michael for listening to that and I, you know, it's hard. It's an interesting and a difficult topic to, 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 to think about and, and to come down on a certain line. Cause I feel like it is very gray because we do want those superhero comics to be outside of reality and to be escapism. But at the same time, do you want some of that real world to come into it? Cause I just feel like if we kept to this, this fantasy world, would we have such great diversity that we're like pushing towards now you know would i because i feel like with comics is is really what has brightened my horizons especially like the queer community you know seeing great characters like kate kane maggie sawyer and things like that is and you know even if i go out of dc like lumberjanes and things like that and just exploring different people through that is really what i think has pushed me to better understanding and empathy and and being pro and and things like that so then you know what do you do because it'd be like a status quo kind of thing of what whatever it was in the past it would never change it would never mold itself to to what is currently going on. So I, so I do wonder about that. So it's just hard. I think it is a, it's a gray, gray situation. And now we have it. Here we go, people. The subject title from Donovan Morgan Grant is Hot Takes Part Due regarding Backroll 2013 through 14. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, Carolyn and... <laughs> Sorry, that was wrong. I wanted to thrust all of the blame on Carolyn, Stella, and Carolyn, too, as this time I have a bone to pick with both of you. I'll start by saying that this was one of the more entertaining video episodes as the double act of Stella constantly cracking up from Carolyn's reactions really enhanced the viewing experience. I also think it made Batgirl 48, which on audio might have been a depressing review to hear considering how lousy it was, much more fun as the octaves in Stella's voice bounced around all over the place. I very much enjoyed that review. Predictably, though, great Scott, I disagree with everything said about Batgirl 13 through 14 from the summation, <laughs> from the summations gathered to even the nature of the critiques. Uh, oh, man. Okay. Of course, I'm biased to the point of being diseased with this run. And when it comes to 13 in particular, that is one of my all-time favorite issues. 
It reads as a great action done in one. And even though it continues into 14, I love how slick and fast paced it is rolling with a great emotional story that gets to the heart of who Cassandra is as a character. The artwork is superb from the vertical panels of her dodging the bullets to her brandishing the gun sideways while saying her favorite ice cream to the final shot of her with the title logo when Jonathan asks who she is. It's just a great single issue comic book, although I do understand grading both issues at once since it is somewhat of a two-parter. But when it comes to discussing 14, the only thing I agreed on was the appreciation of the cover and the inconsistency of Batman telling Cass to get her costume, then she doesn't, which is weird. Also, Stella noting that this is the third time someone died that Cass has tried to save. That's a good observation. I'll happily grant you. Well, thank you there, Donovan. But the... But the... But the two of you zeroed in on Barbara and Bruce so much to the point that you spoke none at all about Batgirl, you know, the title character. Oh, man. The scene between Babs and Cass in the clock tower is great because, in my opinion, we've not had a member of the Bat family intentionally disregard the civilian identity. That clearly disturbs Barbara. But what does it say about Cassandra's view of herself? It's consistent with her wanting to be known only as Batgirl, but does she see Batgirl as the costume she trained so hard to regain the right to wear during the Shiva storyline? Has she moved on beyond the costume? There are a lot of interesting implications in that scene that unfortunately get passed over to get to com- <laughs> to get to complaining about Batman again, who I didn't even think was in the issue that much. But when he's in it, he's in it. And I need to talk about it. Obviously, the classic parental tension between Batman and Oracle is at play in this. Babs is concerned that Cass ruined her chance at a normal life, while Batman appreciates Batgirl's thinking of disregarding any potential weakness as a crime fighter. That's plainly apparent in the comic, but even if Batman's thinking is so utilitarian to be unthinking of Cass's emotional needs, I'm not seeing this characterization of him as some kind of Palpatine-esque monster. The scene at the end with him giving Cass her own Batcave to me showed the other side of Cass's intentions. If she didn't care about hiding her identity, then she gets her own Batcave so she can be Batgirl 24-7. In addition to protecting Oracle's identity next time they go shopping for makeup. But the loneliness depicted in Damien Scott's artwork is completely intentional. I didn't read it as, look how awful Batman is being. I read it as, this is what Cassandra ostensibly said she wanted when she forsook her costume. In the second to last page, when Batman hands her the Batgirl suit, asking if she needs anything else, Cass looks straight into the mask as she responds, no. Why is she staring at it? It's what she wanted, right? As Batman drives off, Cass says, bye. Once he's gone, after she's all alone. Again, this is about her character development. She seems to want to become what Batman is, but does she deep down? If she were truly as single-minded as Bruce likes to think she is, she'd be jazzed by the cave, but the issue shows how her actions have consequences. And as those consequences are confronted, she rethinks her decisions. Additionally, I don't get the whole blue over Batman taking cast to take out the assassins who killed Johnson. That's what the Batman family do? I don't know. Maybe the artwork was a bit over the top, but Cassandra wasn't torturing anybody or anything. He also tells her he's sorry on the drive home, and at no point did he ever blame her for Johnson's death. You're barreling ever closer to Bruce Wayne, murderer! So the discussion of Batman's actions will become a constant, but all pithiness aside... Uh, I was disappointed that with two issues displaying so much intrigue and dimension from Cassandra Kane, the conversation just went straight to Barbara and Batcher. With this review, this did seem 
to come across as a pointed agent. Oh my gosh. But at least you ranked it over Castellucci's series, which I'm sorry, the depths that runs taken Barbara's character all the same. Fist shakingly yours, Dawn. I don't know what to say. It, there's no agenda. I mean, do I point out when Batman's being a jerk? Absolutely. But hey, this is also called the Barbara Gordon podcast. So I'm going to focus on Barbara Gordon's character. And, you know, it's your own fault for not being on that particular episode. So you weren't there to explain yourself. But it wasn't just me. It was Carolyn, too. So, you know, two over one. Two is more than one. I, I see what you're saying. I, I do grant you... Uh, some of these, you know, character character things. I, I, I'm trying the best I can. This is actually a good example of, I suppose, a real life example of what I think versus, you know, what someone else thinks. So me versus the reviewer of the Batman universe for the current Batgirl and, you know, me not liking it and someone else liking it and, you know, me with Cassandra Cain, this current run and like, I like it but not as like whoa this is great compared to to donovan just that we have different opinions on it but i do appreciate whenever you write in and you're able to tell me what's what like a mansplaining casplaining mansplainer so i do appreciate that and i get it but you know i do hold fast to some of these things that the just the way he brings her to beat those people like he could have just taken them out, couldn't he have? I mean, I understand why he brought her, but it's just like weird, like, hey, these people killed your friend. Go get them. I mean, she could have killed them for all we know, and I'd be like, yeah, that's what he was leading her to do. Uh, and then the cave, I still think that that was an awful thing to do, and yeah. So I, I guess I was more looking at it, you know, from the Batman and, and the Barbara Gordon lens, not really Cassandra Kane. So I'll try to do better in the future. That is, that's the best you can get out of me. But in all honesty, I always appreciate you writing in, and you're able to delve in and <laughs> uh, to Cassandra Kane's character and that particular story more so. You know, you have more experience with it, so... I trust you on that. Like, I think you trust me with Barbara Gordon. So that's why we we are two halves that almost make a whole because we need a third, which is Stephanie Brown. Oh, well, I think that's it. Again, you can always write in to backgirltheoracle at gmail.com or post on the episode list, you know, the, the Batman universe and all of that, uh, just like Michael Richard, because that was a comment on the actual post. Okay, well, guess what? I'm going to take a break now. And when I come back, <laughs> I will be reviewing Batgirl 49, aka 101, aka 204. But first, Zias's Radio Hour featuring Pissing in a River <laughs> by Patty Smith. So I'll see you guys soon. Voices, voices. 
Should I pursue a pain? 
Okay, we are back. Thanks to Donovan Morgan Grant, who was right on it and, and sent me this news item from CBR. Joker War reaches its climax with the release of Batman 100, and Batman writer James Tiny IV promises that none other than Barbara Gordon will be a central player in the Dark Knight's main title moving forward. DC recently released a preview for Batman 100, which sees Barbara helping her comrades even even the odds by shedding her Batgirl cowl, putting on a pair of glasses, and assuming the mantle of Oracle for the first time in nearly a decade. As Tynion writes on his blog, it looks like readers can expect her to stick around for the foreseeable future. Quote, one key element is in that is that I can say that Barbara Gordon is going to be an absolutely central character for the rest of this year and next year, the writer said while discussing what's next for Batman. If you've been missing Oracle and the Batverse like I have, I think you're going to be very excited where things go from here. Okay, so Oracle's coming back. I like how they said a decade because we've had kind of flavors of Oracle and a bit of... I mean, it's been other people assuming that identity, but also Barbara has used it as well. So, you know, I could nitpick at that, that she's been gone for a decade, but it seems like in full, she is going to be here. And so lots of people have been asking me what I think about Joker War and Barbara's appearances, and I'm like, give me a break. Do I really need to read this story? And, you know, thinking about, I guess, what is the purpose of the podcast of the podcast and it is tracing her and but also my heart just can't take a lot of the the stuff that is going on in current titles and so i just wonder do i need to look through joker war and i guess i should look through joker war because of her characterization it seems like it's deep has been going somewhere and has raised some questions. I think there's some sort of romance potential with Jason, which isn't the first time that they did that. They did that in Eternal as well. And just particular uh, big character moments for her in that. And then, of course, leading up to this, I guess. So I actually have a copy of Batman 100. I didn't read, I haven't read yet Batman 100. That's another thing, just me thinking about the purpose of this podcast. And I've really been focusing on, you know, Birds of Prey title and Batgirl title. And yeah, I've done other things like World's Finest and, or was it called Earth 2? I can't remember. I think it was Earth 2 World's Finest, right? With Huntress and Power Girl. And I've done the Birds of Prey when they were villainous and, and Barbara wasn't really a part of that particular team. And so I'm just wondering now, gosh, if she's going to have such a central role and there might not be a Batgirl title going forward, should I be covering Batman? So I guess we'll see what that's like. And might, I might take a page from Chris Carnes's book and, and, give you a really quick, almost like a synopsis, uh, a publisher's synopsis of what the book is and then what Barbara does in there, uh, unless I feel like she really is playing a significant role, which is what Tanyan seems to be alluding to. And I texted Carolyn Coca right away and, and she, you know, is not necessarily optimistic about it. And I would say same, right? DC hasn't been treating Barbara well at all. So just because she's switching from the cowl to, you know, the chair in front of the monitor, does that necessarily mean that they're going to understand who that person is? So anyways, 100, I guess I'll have to read it. But again, thanks to Donovan, my, my former beloved, and sometimes my current beloved, who knows? He says that he's going to sum it up. He says it's extremely simple to sum, sum up. 
Joker took over the Wayne fortune and brainwashed Rick Grayson to be evil. He turned Alfred into a zombie and tried to kill Batman and Harley with his new sidekick punchline. Batman survived, of course. Batgirl used some magic thing to restore Dick's memories and the entire Bat family, except for Damien, who quit being Robin in Teen Titans, united and saved the city. And Babs ran point as Oracle. And of course, Stefan cast on bat symbols, although we don't know if they are back rolls, which I will also get back to there. So thank you. I mean, Donovan's been with me this whole day almost, and we've been conversing, and he sent me lots of screenshots of different pages and things like that. So let me get to the pages. So boy, they don't hold anything back. So yeah, we start right off the bat with this. This is, I mean, that's page one, right? I mean, she's in the clock tower, computer activate, I need eyes everywhere, we're going to need to pin every clown in the city, I need all CC. So she's really going through it, and that image actually is really interesting just because you can see, I believe that's her cowl, right? She's removing it, so a symbolic gesture that she's taking off the Batgirl guys and becoming Oracle, potentially full-time, which we haven't seen Batgirl number 50. We It's alluded to that she retires, I'll of course get into 49 soon. She still walks, so, you know, nothing as dramatic as her ripping out the chip one final time. I wasn't sure if we were going to take away her legs as well, which sounds really macabre. But, I mean, she's sitting down. She's putting on the glasses. Uh, It's interesting that she's got her gloves, her gauntlets still on. But this Gotham City, this is the voice of Oracle and, and seeing her head. It's a floating Oracle head, Carolyn knows. And then all of the people, of course. And there was another part, which was good. Yeah, I just wanted to say it's great to hear your voice in my ear again from Dick, which is, of course, good. And then she says, and it's great to see you back in blue. So... Ugh, yeah, this could be it. I mean, they're they're going big, and boy, it starts right off the bat in Tanyan saying that she's going to be a central role. I don't know what this means for her character in terms of other books. Is is it? Are we going back almost to the eighties and the nineties where she is a side character and and pops up? I have no idea, but it's it's interesting. Just. Is this what DC was going for all along? And then, of course, all the writers on Batgirl, or at least the the latter part of her run, right, with Cecil Castellucci, was she forced into this particular point? And so almost similar to uh, Barbara Kiesel. There we go. Barbara Kiesel was forced to make Barbara Gordon retire to lead into the killing joke. Was Cecil Castellucci forcing Barbara Gordon into retirement to lead to this transition of power into Oracle. That's not really retirement. I mean, I don't know. You're just transitioning from one hero or one aspect to another. So I don't know why people were throwing the the R word around, but, but there we are. So I'm on the same page as Carolyn. I I think I will reserve, you know, my optimism. I I think I will wait to see, Wait to see. Yeah, that's the answer because I'm a bit guns shy now and I just don't necessarily trust DC with how they have been dealing with. So they've they've certainly have to prove it. And so there's that. And then the other thing which was mentioned, of course, was Steph and Cass putting on bat suits. 
This was in a tie-in to the Joker War called the Joker War Zone. So it had uh, smaller stories that were, or I guess it was a collection of short stories. But we see Cass and Steph team up. Let me get to it. Okay, here we go. And I actually like the art style because it just reminds me of something that would fit their particular characters. Again, this is not, I have not read this, so... You know, if I do a Joker War sort of encapsulating segment, I will read all of this stuff. But this is just like coming at me. And this was, you know, a little bit ago, but just thought I would go through everything since I haven't talked to you, I think, since this came up. But see, yeah, so we've got Spoiler and Orphan, and they are hanging out. And by hanging out, I mean that they're eating some empanadilla and in Bluthaven, and they're also fighting crime together, which is really nice and nostalgic there. But then they end up going to the clock tower because they recognize the importance of Batman signal. They go on in and somehow they come out with these costumes. I don't know <laughs> if it's some sort of strange timeline where Barbara had these costumes all along. But it is, I don't know, it looks like the curve more so. I'd have to compare again because there is a slight difference between the Batman symbol and the Batgirl symbol at times. But anyways, I mean... Even even beyond that, if you just look at it, oh, wow, that looks like Stephanie Brown, Batgirl. To a certain extent, she still has the, the spoiler top, the headpiece, and then Cassandra came Batgirl. So I don't know what this means. We know that they're fighting in Batman 100. I think we saw them. You know, could this be pointing forward to something? Could Oracle be in the Batman series going on? And then also you've got Oracle and the Batgirls. And, and I mean, that's what we've been clamoring for, right? Ian Prime and Carolyn Cook, like all these people have wanted something like that. I have no idea. But it seems like, you know, DC is going for some sort of shakeup with what they have been doing. And they, they've certainly been cleaning houses, we know, and going to say getting rid of people but letting people go and so it just seems like a huge shake up and if you're going to do that I feel like you, you really have to start off on a strong foot a strong back foot and not new 52 strong back foot but really go in and perhaps rethink you know what makes DC Comics special what makes these particular characters special and I think really revisit what they've been doing with some of these particular characters. And frankly, I would like to call out editorial, especially bat editorial. I don't I feel like they're probably not lazy with huge titles like detective and Batman, but they seem to have gotten lazier, whoever it is, he, she, they with Batgirl. I mean, just because it might not be like top tier, I think you still need to, give as much attention and care to that. So I'll, I'll call them out for sure, but I have no idea what's about to happen. But at least I guess we're going to see Barbara in the Batman title and perhaps I'll be covering it. I don't know. I, I guess I'll have to, to think and see about that. Okay. Well, I think that's it for the news and all of that. I am now going to go to our, or yeah, our <laughs> current Batgirl. And it has, look at this, it has led me to drink the Kofefe. Do you see this in here? Now, it's not It's not pure Kofefe. It is, in fact, pumpkin spice, but 
I did say that I, I would either rage quit. Well, I could either or or both and. But I'm, you know, I'm a bit tired and I just feel like <laughs> I don't, I just don't have the energy to do a rage quit. So maybe it'll happen while I'm doing this and I will screen share, I guess, as I talk about it. I was actually talking to someone recently. Oh, it was Ian this morning on Twitter. And then, you know, I had to cover this. I haven't read this in a couple of weeks. So it's going to kind of be a fresh take, I think. I I have very few notes compared to 47 or whatever it was. And of course, I don't have a partner in crime. So it's just going to be me. But here we go. I'll take a, a sip to fortify myself. Okay. So this is Batgirl. 49, a.k.a. 101, a.k.a. 204, Gordon's Never Give Up, Part 2. Writer Cecil Castellucci, artist Robbie Rodriguez, colorist Jordi Belair. Gotham, now. A redhead with tape over her mouth is getting her hair trimmed, a la Barbara Gordon, since there is an image of her being used as a model before the camera pulls back and reveal that she is in a Batgirl costume. So a bit kinky there. Earlier, we are back at the crime scene with a different dead Batgirl, and Jim and Bullock are like, well, that's too bad. Batgirl is dead. I guess that happens with heroes. The real Batgirl goes off and in Times Square is surrounded by noobs blurbs about the dead Batgirl, whose name is Marley Evan or Marley Evans. Well, she considers who did it. Frankie checks in and at home, Babs sees James, who is also checking up on her, but she pushes him away and says that their relationship will always be strained. She slams the door and he says, Gordon's don't give up. Another dead Batgirl shows up and Jim and Bulk realize that, oh, wow, maybe the real Batgirl is not dead after all. Meanwhile, another redhead is picked up at a bar, then asked by the suitor to put on a Batgirl costume. She is later killed and Jim knows in his gut that Barbara Gordon, his daughter, must be a target because, you know, they're all natural redheads. So it makes sense. At Alejo's office, oh wow, Bab still works there. A man who is supposed to be Jason, but looks nothing like him artistically, even though I do love you, Robbie Rodriguez, uh, congratulates Babs on the environmental award, which is weird that we missed she got that award. Apparently, he's hung up again on the back roll thing, and Babs is like, hey, I've got my own stuff to deal with, so I can't help you. And he's like, that's okay, I understand. Whatever. Jim sees them hug and asks what's going on, but she says, we're just co-workers. They then chat about Babs moving back home and JJ being changed and Jim not letting Babs be a cop and this case, and it's all fraught with conflict, per usual. I guess he follows her home because he breaks into her apartment, but she pulled a Spider-Man and got out of there before he got there, all the while JJ watches and he's Venom now and talking to himself. Backer goes to the clock tower, tries to connect how the victims are related to her. Maybe that they led double lies. Hmm. She gets angry, kicks the holograms, then goes to the sites of the murders and maps them out. She goes to where the next likely murder will be and finds a board dedicated to Batgirl. A man sneaks up on her and, oh my gosh, did you see this coming? It's JJ. She attacks him and accuses him, but he says that he was following clues so she wouldn't be the next victim. He then points out that the map makes a bat, but it's missing a tail, which Barbara somehow missed in her investigation. 
because she's a noob. And the next victim should be at the lighthouse. She goes there. Hey, so does JJ. And so does Jim, who figured all of this out as well. JJ and Beckerel have an altercation at the lighthouse. And somehow JJ now has two personalities. But the one didn't know Babs was Beckerel, which doesn't make sense. And I'll point that out as we as I go through the issue. The evil JJ has been killing to get Batgirl to come to him so he can cut her out of his life by death, I guess. The good JJ wants to end his life. Batgirl, with some sort of test tube in her hand, is trying to talk him down. He says he loves her, then leaps off the lighthouse, and Batgirl somehow doesn't do anything about it and watches him fall. At the bottom, she mourns the man she hated, and Jim, who saw the whole thing, blames Batgirl and calls for her arrest. She throws a gas pellet and leaves, telling herself it's over, and she gives up. Next, the last issue. Oh, man. You know, I thought that I was prepared to record this episode, and I just realized as I was doing that, going through the recap, that I forgot something. So you're going to have to take my word for it, because I tried to find a digital copy of it, but was unable to. If you recall, Carolyn and I talked about plagiarism, right? And whether or not Kasuji had done it. what that says about the writing or the editing or, you know, was it intentional or unintentional? And that was in regards to 47 because I saw Batgirl and Joker and the way they were laying very similar to the pre-wedding issue with Catwoman and Joker laying that way. So now we are hitting on, and that was uncomfortable, right? That was uncomfortable, that similarity. This is even more uncomfortable Did that ending seem suspiciously familiar? And I wish, oh man, I was going to go into my long box and pull out this particular issue, but it is just like Batgirl number 19 by Gil Simone. The fact that we've got James falling uh, before Batgirl, I think she threw the battering right and it hit his eye or whatever. That's why he had, you know, the thing. And then this exact same thing where, oh, she's looking at what had happened. And then her father comes up behind her and basically says, you're under arrest. And then all of this, oh my God, it's, it is very, it is similar. It is, I don't even need the very, it is similar. It is practically the same. And then I wonder, I just wonder about that, I guess. Is this plagiarism? Does plagiarism exist in comics? I feel like, yes, it does. I mean, it's not, we're, oh, it is so close to being the same. I, I don't know. I mean, homages and, you know, flashbacks and, and pointing to something or, or using it as a model, I can totally see, but this is almost like I'm taking 19 and I'm putting it here. It could have been an accident. You know, we've heard about these accidental plagiarism things that happened. And I guess we could, you know, potentially believe it like, oh, I thought I came up with that on my own, but you actually really didn't. Maybe that's here. But great Scott. And, you know, again, I blame, I mean, I'm going to blame a lot of people or hold them accountable if you don't want me to use that B word. But I definitely hold the writer accountable on this one. I don't know if she was reading any of that stuff. So going into it, okay, 
but then you've got someone checking in on you, right? You've got an editor. Am I right? What, what has that editor been doing? Is the editor, I mean, what is the resume required to be an editor? I wonder, is it just like you pick up wherever, whenever your position started, should the editor not be aware of what's happening here? Should, well, hold on. Let me get to the credits so I can call this editor out by name. Jessica Chen is the editor, it says. Group editor, though, is Ben Abernathy. So you've got the writer, you've got the editor, and then you've got the group editor. So we've got two people checking your work, and no one figured out that this exact same thing happened previously. So, you know, all the times that I've been saying things like, we've seen this before, we've seen this before, we've, like a robot, Th- this is case in point. This is proven right here. I wish I had a thing so I could do a side-by-side to show you, but I, I beseech you to open up Batgirl number 19 by Gail Simone from the New 52 and see how similar those two things are. And I just... My gosh, is this really that that's all you can do? Like inevitable conflict with the father. He's going to put Batgirl under arrest. Uh, You know, somehow she's always becoming Peter Parker, Spider-Man and the police are not on her side. And then, you know, she's got to give up and retire and she's done with all that stuff. Boy, I don't get it. Uh, So then you, so that's my major qualm. I would say with this particular issue is that we've seen it before, literally. And I don't know how, no one's either pointed that out. I mean, maybe they have on the socials or why, why no one caught this? I don't know. I mean, I hate to be that person that's like, I could do a better job than, you know, but I have been reading all of these Batgirls. So maybe I could be a Batgirl editor because I'd be able to tell you, hey, this is not going to fly. So uh, I don't know. Okay, so... Yeah, I don't have many notes, so I can just kind of go through here. So one of the weird points is, I'll go back to the end, this climax here. First of all, I would like to say that JJ, a.k.a. James Jr., I didn't really foresee this split personality. I think there was a writer online that was it CBR or comic? I don't know. But he was saying he said it was DID, right? Disassociative identity disorder, right? So split personality disorder. And I guess I never really saw him having this. Now there is that issue, gosh, it's like 37, 34, I don't know, when he comes back into her life and the metal, dark metal joker is talking to him. So he kind of had that, I suppose, but I just considered him a psychopath slash sociopath. I can't remember the distinction offhand. So it's just weird that we've added this new dimension to him. And maybe that had been developing off panel in, in other books, but to not really discuss that here, I think is strange, especially since he's been in this particular book off and on for a while. So to not have that develop here, to not speak about it here is is rather interesting. But this whole situation, and I can't tell if it's sarcastic or not. Let's see here. Oh, yeah, right here. Wait, is your sister Batgirl, this middle panel here, JJ? If I had known, I wouldn't have done those terrible things to those women. So I can't, is that number, is it sarcastic? But his face doesn't really show that. And I don't think that, 
it makes sense that he doesn't know. Now, I can totally understand from a psychologist's point of view that, yes, absolutely, one identity would be aware of some things that the other identity is not. But just the stuff that is happening throughout, for instance, this, right? So if the bad JJ is doing this whole thing, choosing his victims on account of their hair color and whether they look, I guess, bodybuild-wise like Barbara, and then putting them in this costume... But that's one thing, just putting in the costume. But as you can see, she's got, he's got this model here, uh, this middle panel where I guess that's actually her accepting the environmental award. So clearly that's incorrect that he actually does know that she's back. Otherwise, he would not be modeling it after her. So I, I feel like that is just really bizarre just doesn't seem to fit. And he just pops in at weird times. I just don't think that it's dealt with well. And if we're just or stay on this topic of JJ, I, I, in my note here, I say, I call it the tragedy of JJ. And I do want to say thanks for, thanks to Ian Prime for reminding me that it seems like in this particular continuity, there's an error or in these past couple issues that JJ is older than Barbara, and that is incorrect. Uh, and there's actually evidence to prove that uh, Barbara is the older sibling, Black Mirror, as well as other places. So that's a continuity error, unless I don't know if Cecil was just going with an idea she had in her head or someone else is saying something, but that is wrong. But so the tragedy of him, so I, I'm not his biggest fan. Uh, I think if you've been listening to this show, you know that. However, Black Mirror is a great story. I mean, it's great in how awful it is. It's worthwhile, right? As I've said in part one. And I, I think it really cements him as this true evil, you know, character, this sociopath, this psychopath. But all of a sudden, he, I don't know, he's just mishandled. He's put in so often that it almost weakens him. I think he's one of those characters that using him sparingly but powerfully is the way to go. And I almost feel bad for Scott Snyder because I feel like Scott Snyder really loved this particular character. And gosh, when he left him go or he put him into the Bat universe, people just mishandled him and he turned into this character. And now he's like thrown away and killed off, which is just awful. Like, gosh, we had this Black Mirror, which is a great story. And then you know, we just throw him away like this. But all these appearances that he's had in Batgirl have been terrible. Remember New 52 and he was dating Alicia? Oh my gosh. And then, you know, now he's got this random, this sister obsession and it's it's spun out of control. I, I guess you could argue that he's had something like this all along because he was, you know, killing her friends and things like that. But it's just like all of a sudden he's he's really obsessed with her. It's almost like, perverted in in a certain sense and you know his argument is that he wants well he wants to kill himself the the good one i suppose to to protect her and then the bad one he wants to kill her slash backgirl to to get her out of his life which is weird again too because it makes more sense that he would be killing people that looks like barbara rather than backgirl because barbara's the one that's been kind of messing with him so this whole it's it just doesn't make sense, but I will say that I just think that the character has been mishandled and it's uh, not done well. 
this is a bit weird when I'm trying to find where this is, but he actually talks about this is a bit of a change. James, he's different, that's for sure, but I can't tell why he's so focused on reuniting why now. And so it's interesting that now he, Jim Sr., is actually saying that, yes, I can tell my son has changed, whereas he's been terrible. He called him a monster the last ep- issue, right? So that's a weird change there. This care, I've got these relationships, right? So Barbara and her father. I mean, I don't know why we have to have this unnecessary conflict between basically the the best relationship in DC Comics that could be, but it's been pretty terrible. She's really terrible towards him, and then he, I guess, underestimates her and thinks she's just like this weakling, and hey, you have red hair, and so I'm worried about you, and you should come and live with me. And then she's like, hey, you don't want to be joining the Academy? I'm like, where is this coming from? It's so weird. And then Barbara and Jason and just that drama as well. And I mean, she hates him. I'm trying to figure out where this was. Yeah, you know, this is as good as it's going to get between us. Let that be enough. Go home, James. You know, the, basically she, their brother, sister in name only. And then she's mourning someone that she hates at the very end. I have to see what this is. He's really gone. He's, I hated him so much. I wanted him to die. And now he's gone. He's really gone. So I guess she's, I mean, looks like she's crying. It's not just the rain. Of course, it's raining with someone dying. I have no idea. I, it's just pick a side, you know, develop the relationship or not. And this was so wishy-washy. It's been since, I guess, 48, right? Where she feels like she can trust him, but she doesn't want to trust him, but she has to trust him that whole weird thing that didn't make sense at all i have no idea i i mean honestly this this is why i'm drinking this instead of rage quitting is because i was just confused this entire issue confused me some of the writing this was so bizarre here's one of them end of an era even though i don't like them bats it's sad we disagreed on methods at times. Batgirl did her part for Gotham. She'll be missed. It's like, huh? She's dead. Why? Who would in the these people, these two men who have been around for a while and know that usually these heroes actually don't die? All that they leap to the conclusion that this must be it. She's dead, and they're just like. That's too bad. What? And then, you know, when a new victim comes up, they're like, oh, wow, I I, I guess it wasn't, you know? Yeah, they're all natural. It's so weird. And I there would be way more emotion or just actual smarts and intelligence and, and them saying, well, someone's got some sort of backroll fetish. This is clearly not the backroll the real Batgirl, I don't know. Uh, the Jason thing, I mean, I could, this is weird that he's still hung up on that. It's been so many issues. Was it also Margaret Scott's run or was it only Cecil Castellucci? But it, back and forth, back and forth. It's so weird. And then Batgirl Barbara, sorry, Barbara is a jerk to him too. And just like, hey, I've got my own stuff to deal with. You need to deal with this on your own. Thanks, Barbara. And there was something else. So, oh, yes, the investigation. So first, yeah, oh, my gosh, just mischaracterization. I mean, that's what it comes down to. I will say I think some poor writing, 
because that's, you know, the detective stuff or, well, the detective stuff, the Jim and Bullock stuff, some stuff that Barbara's going to say as Batgirl that I'll, I'll go to. But just like, okay, when have you known her to, besides these runs, to lose her cool like this, you know, when stuff is not working out or, or yeah, she gets frustrated, but this is just like someone who can't handle it and, and has no self-control. I mean, this is not it. And then she she can't figure out, like, there's got to be some connection, but she can't figure out the connection. She puts things together, but she can't put it together, like she misses something, and her brother, who doesn't even do detective work, but is a sociopath is the one who you know does something and she misses it that's terrible this woman has been on the case for longer than that to make some sort of dumb mistake it's so weird and then this weird stuff this is like where carolyn said whatever those lines were like he is a monster or i can't remember but it cracked me up like who talks like that who talks like this where she comes in and she says smells like a man with no friends lives here and then the next page at the bottom when she sees who it is he is the man with no friends what who writes like this it's so bizarre that's why i was just so confused of like what am i reading i can't even get angry right now because it's just it's just awful you know, I I could probably go page by page, but this is just like a bunch of, it's almost like a bunch of disparate pages put together and a character that I don't even recognize <laughs> playing the part of Batgirl slash Barbara Gordon. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. She's quitting again. How many times does she quit? Hmm. In this continuity, that's a good question. So she's definitely quitting Simone's run. I guess maybe technically this is just the second time that she's quit, but... She's wanted to restart her life so many times that that's almost like quitting one life in order to start the other. But I, yeah, I don't even know. So then the reviewer at the Batman universe, which I don't even know his, her, their name, but I do know that that person I think gave a four out of five, which is an 80 because I'm not going to give it an A, believe me. And so this person, I found out from Donovan that this person is more or less new reader to Batgirl. And so, you know, this is, I guess, terrible reporter work, but I didn't read the review just like the stars kind of, you know, four out of five or three and a half out of five, because they've been higher than, than I would have expected. And so I'm thinking to myself, what would this be like as a new reader? Because I've got so many hangups, but they're because I know Barbara Gordon so well. <sighs> so the writing still, I think there are some bad points of the writing. I guess, you know, depending on what you know about James Jr., this DID could be interesting. And this conflict that Barbara has with her family and, and you know, just being pushed to the edge and, and trying to figure out what to do. I, I guess it could be interesting. But I guess that's a different, you know, new reader. That's, man, I don't... There are times that I really love being a new reader, that you don't have that baggage with you and you just go in and, and you enjoy it. But at the same time, having that baggage, I think, gives you a better level of understanding and a clarity to this character should be. And so I guess for a new reader, you know, this could all be really interesting in, in this conflict within the family. But for me, with that baggage, I'm like, there shouldn't be that conflict in the family. 
And maybe there should be something with James, but if you're also saying he's changed, I don't know why you're like victimizing him, but then it's, you're also villainizing. It's, it's just so conflicted that I, uh, yeah, I just don't, I was so confused, so confused with this. Like as I was reading, I thought, I just don't, I don't get it. I really don't get it. So Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, the art again, I do really like it. Martin Gray, I think on Twitter, he was talking about elongated man noses or like the little nose, which is true, but it is a Robbie Rodriguez, a little thing. There's someone else who does that. I think it's the, the Dodsons had that sort of rosy red, which I find endearing. But yeah, when I saw, because the art, I, I would say, is like the positive always on these with Robbie Rodriguez. But that's just because I'm used to him and Spider-Gwen or Ghost Spider. But yeah, when I was seeing this whole Jason, I was like, that that doesn't even look like Jason with his little red snaws. Oh, man. Well, I mean... Sorry if I disappointed you and you wanted a rage quit, but you got you got the Kofefe instead. I am interested to see what happens in 50. I mean, this is just like, wow, one more issue, Stella, one more issue. You can make it. I believe in you. So that's kind of what I think. So out of 10, <laughs> out of 10 bats, because I'm pretty sure that's all I wanted to talk about for that particular issue compared to the last issue. Yeah, that's the question, isn't it? Hmm. Last issue I gave 2.5 out of 10. Just kind of have to think in my brain about how does this compare. I don't, yeah, I, I guess I would say same. 2.5 out of 10 bats. I really don't see it, it moving up or down whatsoever. So there you go. So one more issue, people. We can make it through. And here's hoping for good characterization as Oracle slash, you know, orphan and spoiler or backroll and backroll doing something. Okay, well, guys, Chris's cornucopia of curiosities is on sabbatical, so you won't hear that. And, oh, so now we are in the what are you wearing segment. Now, you did not see this in part one, but I wore this shirt. That was part one. Part two, which is what we're currently doing, I'm wearing this shirt. So there's the difference between the two. You've got the evolution, I suppose, of the characters. Of course, you have Tim. Could, wish you could do a side-by-side, but it's kind of hard. And this was gifted to me by my former and sometimes current beloved Donovan. And let me see. It is an artist, Tim Levin's art, which you can find on... Instagram, he's probably somewhere else, but he does, I think, either Superman the Animated Series or Batman the Animated Series. So he has other things that he could potentially get and support that gentleman. So that's the what are you wearing? And now I have moved on to literature recommendations. And the last... One was City of Girls from the previous episode, which I talked about it, of course, with Carolyn, but I do recommend it. And I did actually find The Father. The Father appeared, which, great Scott, I was probably an hour from the end, and then all of a sudden he came. Okay. I'm so close to finishing Rory's reading list. I think I have eight left, but the problem is that I've exhausted the, what the UVA library had, or at least what it is allowing to be taken out as holds because there's lots of shutdowns still. 
and my public library doesn't have anything. So I, I need <laughs> there to be interlibrary loan, which I have no idea when that's going to happen. So I, 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 I don't know what's going to happen with that. Okay. So right after city of girls, I read, this is interesting. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes that seems out of order. Didn't I already do that one? I feel like I did. I did read the, yeah, I think I already did. And you can go on Required Reading with Tom and Stella. I think it'll be the November episode, so you can listen to that. I read The Old Guard Book 1 and 2 by Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez. Thumbs up for that. The Reader by Bernard Schlink. Thumbs up for that. That is also on or going to be on required reading. I have to edit that one. That'll be out this month, October. Songbook by Nick Hornby. I give a thumbs up to read. There were essays about particular songs. And if you like Nick Hornby, I, I would say give it give it a shot. Oh my gosh. Two thumbs up. Mr. Miracle by Tom King and Mitch Gerards. The Little Locksmith by Catherine Butler Hathaway. I give that thumbs up. Grandmothers by Doris Lessing. And there were, I guess they were like short, there were other short stories or novellas, but there were, I think, four of them in there. And I really only wanted to get it to read the grandmothers because I had watched Adore and that's what it's based off of. So, you know, a little shaky. Just a couple of days by Tony Vigorito. Eh, I didn't really like it as much. Ethics, I learned a lot by uh, Spinoza. So I guess it depends on what you're looking for. Quattrocento, you know, a little iffy on that particular one. That's where it's interesting. It's a lot about art. And then this gentleman kind of gets transported, which is almost reminds me of that other, as days go by, as time goes by, I can't remember that book that I read a while ago last year, but he gets transported in paintings. A Mencken Christomathy, eh, thumbs down. And it's almost like self, what is it, self-aggregation? No, self-approbation? I don't know. But it's, you know, a Christomathy is, is a collection of pieces of several different works. And so it's interesting that Mencken did that of his own. I don't know if it's always of your own, but it kind of seems like as as an editor or something, you would have a collection of different people's stuff, but he decided to take it all from him. White Teeth by Zadie Smith. Ah. And then the subtweet by Vivek Shraya, I did not enjoy. And I could probably have some discussion, cultural discussions on this with people, but I won't even get into it. Dinner at the Homesick Restaurant by Ann Tyler, I give a thumbs up. And that was interesting, both Dinner at the Homesick Restaurant and White Teeth. I had actually gotten both of those ideas of books from the songbook because Nick Hornby actually mentions both of those. And so as I was doing, I was looking up, oh, who is this? And got a sense of what that was and then was interested in it and decided to give them a shot. So that is it for my literature recommendations. So this is it. Now, because of how the stars are aligning, because of how the episodes are aligning and that December will be the 11th anniversary as well as episode 200, and just having that align, I've decided not to have a standalone Halloween commentary episode. So on the Twitters right now, I put out a little poll that said, hey, if I did a live, a YouTube live on a commentary and I was thinking about only a dream from the Justice League animated series season two, 
would you tune in and watch it? And no one's put no yet as for I checked, I don't know, this morning maybe. And so it's just kind of coming down to time. I mean, you know, the 12 to 15 people that I really appreciate that watch these, it'll, it'll happen. So look for that. And that would be on October 31st. I think I would just pop on YouTube. I know it'll, I'll have to do more than that, but, and just watch along. And then there should be comments and things. I mean, I've, I've watched YouTube lives with different things, streams. So I guess there'll be comments. So that would be fun to interact with you guys as I'm watching. Now, the one thing that I'm actually really trying to figure out, I don't know if any of you tech gurus, but I've seen some IGNs. I haven't, watch them watch them but just like popped in when they watch a movie with particular actors so actors will come on and watch the film and on the screen as you the viewer are watching it's got like the time that the movie is so that you can queue up and and be with the actors as they're because they're not showing it because i don't know that i can i can't split the screen like I have been with this, right? Or share my screen. So that's the only thing because I I just wonder if someone pops on with only a dream and they want to watch with me or catch up, how will they know what time period I'm at? So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to say about that. So I've got to figure that out. So if you know, like maybe it's a widget or something like that, or I can figure out something to do. I'm not sure. Mm -mm 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 Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, uh, this was the show. So look for that Halloween commentary live stream on YouTube on October 31st and say, just stay tuned. I guess I'll put on the various social medias what timer will be because I don't know if it would be afternoon or evening, what preference there would be for people. Lots of people or the majority of the pollsters have said evening. So whatever that means. So then I probably have to narrow down what that means. Eastern Standard Time. So look for that. And then next month I will have Ian Prime is going to be on here. We're doing a huge Birds of Prey story. And then we'll also be doing Batgirl 50. And then my heart will be at rest. (laughs) I don't even know. I think that's it. And then 200 is coming up, which I will reveal what I've been doing right now. You know, I've got two out of three slots already solidified. I'm just trying really hard to get this third one. Okay, well, you can send any questions or comments to backworldoracle at gmail.com. Find the show on Google Play, Stitcher, and now Amazon. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at backworldoracle. Subscribe to the show on YouTube for an uncut version as you're watching right now. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. And support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to My High Comics for sponsoring Backworld Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And until next Next time, fly on, Bats Lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?